This is the Summit Life Ministries audio experience. Hey everybody, welcome to the Age Changer Show brought to you by Summit Life Ministries. My name is David Furrow. This is my dad, Lynn Furrow, also the founder of Summit Life Ministries. And this is my mom, Carmen. Our mission at Summit Life is to elevate, equip, and empower. Elevate the church's vision to see God's eternal purpose. Equip believers to live with an eternal perspective, but then also empower believers to live supernatural lifestyles in faith-filled obedience. Now, Dad, yesterday we left off with, you know, talking about how the cross had become a courtroom, but also a throne room as well. That's right. Uh, we have been in a series within the series or some episodes or a segment yeah. within the Age Changers series called Hell's Best Kept Secret. And we have been drilling down on how uh, Jesus separated our destiny and our fate from Satan's. And yesterday, uh, in yesterday's episode, we talked about how Jesus worked what C.S. Lewis called a deeper magic by um, in and upon the cross, in and through the cross, he allowed mercy mm-hmm. to triumph over justice. Mm-hmm. And without me over going judgment. back or over judgment, yeah. mercy triumphs over judgment. And without me going back and repeating what I've said over the last two episodes, we know that the victim is the one mm-hmm. who has to make the plea for mercy. Yeah. And so Jesus on the cross is both the king and the victim. He's mm-hmm. the judge and the victim at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I want to read... I made reference to Mm -hmm. this book by uh, F.J. Hugel, The Cross of Christ, The Throne of God. This book is out of print, so those of you that took the book recommendation yesterday and was starting to search for it, you're probably going to have to buy it at a used book dealer, or uh, I don't know if it would be an online book that somebody's finally put on there. But you'll have to search to look for it. And no, I'm not going to loan you my copy (laughs) because it is my treasured classic. Only to me. But I want to. uh, I will charge you rent for it. (laughs) Uh, I want to read you a quote from that book. We know that there were statements, again, that we and we made that uh, comment yesterday. There were statements that Jesus made from the cross. And every one of them have great spiritual importance and intention behind them. Mm -hmm. Some of the statements he makes, he makes as the king and the judge. Mm -hmm. Other statements he makes as the victim. Both of them have to be looked at in a very legal way Mm -hmm. to understand their impact. He was not making this as a person that was just talking out of his head in pain. Every single one of them are are explicitly um, and intentionally declarations that are made that are a part of the court case, either entering evidence in mm-hmm. or decrees that are being made from the king. So uh, in the book, Cross of, The Cross of Christ, The Throne of God, F.J. Hugel wrote, Let him now come down from the cross and we will believe. That was one of the mocking statements that some of the priests and religious leaders made to him. But Hugel said, but the king did not come down 
His right to kingship was never more divine than in in that awful hour. It was from the accursed tree that he would reign. So the providence, the guiding providence of God that shapes every aspect of that event. I want you to see how God guides everything in the unfolding of his plan. What was it that was placed on the top of the cross? Jesus, King of the Jews. Jesus, King of the Jews. King of the Jews. Yep, the sign. And so the it really fired up the chief priests and the religious leaders, and they said, "You need to take that town uh, down, and you need to or or put an addendum to it, mm-hmm. saying that that's what he claimed." And and Pilate <laughs> said, "What I've written, I have written." In other words, he was going to. This is a trivial detail to me, but uh, in the heart and mind of God, there was no other thing that was going to be written about him Mm -hmm. that would be stated on that cross. Because from the cross, the king was being enthroned. He was going to take his seat of judgment. He was going to rule, make his first decrees as king from the tree. Man, when I think about this and and how God uses mystery to unfold his plan, and and those that are just slightly curious will look past this. That's why Jesus, (laughs) in the way that he made this book reference, Mm -hmm. it's important that we do read this because you look past the superficial natural things and you go, oh my Lord, this is eternally and spiritually significant when he said that Mm -hmm. or what was written upon him. You know, I just think it's a marvelous thing that from the cross, he wore a crown. And that it was a crown of thorns, but it was a crown nonetheless and the crown of thorns was the produce from the earth. But he was willing to say, I'm now king over my creation. I'm reclaiming this part of my creation. And what has produced a curse and an absence of blessing through sin? Yeah. I will will- willingly bear this crown now so that a new creation can come forth. Yeah. Every one of the wounds of Jesus must be studied when Paul said fellowship with him in his suffering, and Mom and I, in a previous week in episodes, we talked about this. We must fellowship. We must abide hard at the cross. We must ask the Holy Spirit to bring us in remembrance, recreating, remembering, restructuring these moments and interact with them. Because when you study the wounds of Jesus, you see, in fact, that he was redeeming certain aspects of what had been lost from the fall. Every statement needs to be digested and and dissected to see what he was doing as king and what he was doing as the as the last Adam who was experiencing this extinction event for that old creation. Yeah. It's very important that we fellowship with him and allow the one 
who was engaged in both that which was natural and spiritual as they were meeting together in that moment. We need to allow him to unpack what he was doing for us because it is so important. But let me finish the quote or we're going to use the whole episode <laughs> to, to for me just to exclaim the glory of the cross. That's why Paul said, I will get the quote, but that's why Paul said, if we're going to glory about something, yeah. Yeah. if there is going to be boasting, let us boast about the cross of Christ yeah. because so much was accomplished there mm-hmm. in that moment. You know, I did a series at Springs of Life uh, in the, in the, uh, around Easter time when we talked mm-hmm. about um, the glory of the cross and the victory of the cross. And, and when I talked about the glory of the cross, I started out with the passage of Scripture in Galatians where Paul said, who has bewitched you, who put you under a spell, mm-hmm. who's, uh, you know, literally, who has cast the evil eye upon you, that you would, uh, you know, not see the glory mm-hmm. of the gospel. Yeah. And he said, wasn't uh, the cross of Christ evidently portrayed? Wasn't the crucified Christ uh, evidently, evidentially mm-hmm. portrayed as crucified among you? In other words, the Holy Spirit, through the, the preaching of the gospel, through the preaching of the cross, the Holy Spirit had painted this portrait that was so vivid to those early Christians that they it was as if they were seeing Jesus crucified uh, afresh for them. Mm-hmm. That's that's why I'm contending and, and warring by a prophetic word that God gave me a decade ago or nearly a decade ago that the preaching of the cross would become popular in the church again. Uh, It is an old, old story, but we need to pray that every believer that is listening to me right now, that the Holy Spirit freshly Mm -hmm. renews Mm -hmm. in your remembrance and paints a portrait in the thoughts and and, and, in your thinking and in the meditations of your heart, where Martin Luther said that when the Holy Spirit does this, it's as if Jesus died only yesterday. I want it to be so real. And so fresh, so freshly renewed in our remembrance that we feel as if Jesus died only yesterday. That comes through contemplation and meditation. Mm-hmm. You allowing Jesus to personally speak to you from the cross. Yeah. Uh, you know, just as the women there that were kneeling at the cross and John the Beloved that was was there with the mother uh, uh, of Jesus and Mary Magdalene. Let us uh, kneel at the foot of the cross. Let his blood drip down and 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 touch you. Uh, let us be moved by the sound of his groans and, and by the hearing of his words of compassion for us. So F.J. Hugel said this, it was from the accursed tree that he would reign. It was here that he wrought redemption. It was when from here he cried, it is a it is a death for every man, and that the veil of the temple was torn. We know that there was so many things happening in the realm of the spirit because when he said, "It is finished, it is accomplished," the veil was torn, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, symbolized 
that the way into the Holy of Holies was now going to be open. Those that were in paradise, but in Hades, those that were kept in this compartment of the righteous dead that were looking for redemption and had a hope for a day of redemption, but were still not able to approach uh, the presence of God or be in the abode of God in heaven. The, now the way, a forerunner was going to go before them and, mm-hmm. and those that were captives were going to be led out of captivity and he was going to bring a mighty host into heaven. I love also teaching on the fact that when the the man who died uh, beside him said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said, this day will you be in paradise. When Jesus took all of the Old Testament saints out of paradise and brought them into heaven, it, it should not surprise us that those that were right beside the Son of God as he ushers in all of these captives who had been held in that place in Hades, but now are brought into the abode of God. It it should not be surprising to us that a sinner (laughs) is at his right side. Uh, That this man who was, was dying as a thief upon the cross and in the last moments of his life, the grace and the mercy of God is extended to him. It should not be surprising to us that Jesus escorts into heaven a sinner saved by the grace of God. Sorry, I I love (laughs) preaching about Jesus. It says this, that the veil was torn, symbolic of the clearing of the way for immediate access into the presence of God for all of the children of God. Of men. It was then that the shackles of an enslaved humanity were broken. Amen. I love that quote. Now, I want us to go over to Colossians chapter 2, <clears throat> verse 14 and 15. And I even want to go to verse uh, 13. And it says, In you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. How? How was the sin debt satisfied? How was forgiveness released? Well, we know that the the motivation for forgiveness is mercy Mm -hmm. and that mercy triumphs over uh, judgment. But then it says, what happened when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, They do not know what they're doing. Instead of it being a cry for justice, in that moment, the cross spoke a better word. The blood that was upon the ground did not cry for justice, but it was a cry of mercy so that the judgment seat Mm -hmm. turned into a mercy seat. As soon as Jesus said, Father, forgive them, I'm not demanding that you destroy them. I'm not demanding that you exact to the very last ounce of of judgment and justice that should be adjudicated against them. I cry out for mercy. His blood spoke a better word. The Bible tells us in in, in the book of Hebrews 
that his blood spoke a better word than the blood of Abel. We know that Abel, the first victim of murder, it said that his blood cried out from the ground. What did his blood speak of? It was saying that I, I was I was unjustly slain. Yeah. It was for no crime that I I was I was slain. I was held accountable for something that I did. I was murdered in my innocence. I was I was taken out of the land of the living. But his cry was a cry of justice. But Jesus's cry turn the judgment seat into a mercy seat when his blood cried out for mercy. And when that moment happened, verse 14 of Colossians chapter two, it said it canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Mm -hmm. The law demands justice. Mm -hmm. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, life for life, we know what the law requires, that if you sin and you transgress a certain law, there must be a certain debt that is settled for that transgression. Mm -hmm. But when Jesus's blood was shed on our behalf, and when he cried out for mercy, what it did was it satisfied and canceled the record of debt that stood against us. That is what, that record of debt was what Satan used as a basis to accuse us before God day and night. You can't, you can't show them mercy. You can't, you can't forgive them. Look at who they are. Look at what they have done. They're more like me than they are of you. They used to bear your image, but now they reflect more of my image than your image. Yeah. So he used this as, again, as an accuser, as a spiritual religious lawyer to litigate a continued and growing case against us. In one moment, every record of wrong, every sin that had ever been committed from Adam till that point in time, but also the payment of justice mm -hmm. was so great that any sin that had ever been committed or ever would be committed was paid for because this this is this is the glory yeah. and the power of God on display and the mercy of God on display there's not even a, an equivalence if you accumulated all of the sin that will ever be committed, has been committed, ever will be committed in comparison to the price that was paid. There is no equivalency. Yeah. Mm -hmm. there, there is no higher price that needs to be paid than what has ultimately been paid for what we've done. It would be as if what I've done with my kids sometimes when they, when they have come into me and they've had something where... Karis likes to imagine that she has a store sometime <laughs> and she'll come to me with a product and she goes, would you like to, to buy from me this piece of candy or, or, or would you like to buy this from me? And I, instead of knowing that she's wanting money from me, she's wanting to make an exchange and I'll say, how much do you want for that? And she'll say, just give me a nickel or a dime or a quarter and I'll give her a dollar. Mm -hmm. And her eyes light up because she knows I have overpaid 
for what she is offering me. Yeah. There is never an accusation that the devil can bring into the court of heaven ever again against the human race. Mm-hmm. Without God, the righteous judge saying that case has been thrown out long ago, there is nothing that could ever, ever be needed yeah. to satisfy my justice than has already been done. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of the scripture, and you, I know you've shared on this, and it was very meaningful that there's no sacrifice remains, and it's there's nothing after, you know, if we fall and stumble, there's not another sacrifice that has to be made to cover mm-hmm. my sin, and there's none that nothing I can do to cover my sin or to get forgiveness that's already been paid. That's right. There was this great rebuke and warning to the Jewish believers in the book of Hebrews, where you could see they were trying to to hedge their spiritual bets, where they were they were contemplating and and they were they knew that Jesus died, but yet there was still the ritual system that existed. Some of them were still going in and and offering sin offerings mm-hmm. and and saying, how could it be that Jesus's one act mm-hmm could take care of all of my sin because after I've received salvation, uh, I have still fallen short of God's glory. I have still sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so what they were doing is they were trying to hedge their bets and saying, I'm going to compliment the the suffering of Jesus by, by, you know, creating these dual sacrifices. And the writer of the Hebrews warned them, He said, to do that, you are doing despite the spirit of grace. You are insulting the Holy Spirit. It is as if you're walking over the dead body of Jesus and his sacrificial offering to take your animal offering and you're treating the precious blood, the holy blood, as a common thing like an animal sacrifice. And he warns them. He said, there is one sacrifice that remains for all time and all eternity uh, for our sin debt. And the way we fall from grace is not committing additional sins after we're saved. We fall from grace by not turning to Christ Mm. when we do sin. That's a good point. That's good. Well, guys, that's all we have for you today. If you have questions or comments about today's episode, make sure you leave them in the comment section below. If you want to just get to know more about Summit Life Ministries, make sure to check us out at summitlifeministries.com. If you want to just get all things Summit Life or make sure to get our updates, make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, subscribe to us on YouTube. But thank you for being with us again today. We love you guys and God bless. Glory in the cross of Christ. What's up, everybody? This is Josh Furrow from the Summit Life Ministries team. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in to the podcast. Make sure you subscribe, leave us a review, and have a blessed week.